Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, and I'm very excited to have back on my program, Brian Stutzman, author of the book, Warsaw, Illinois, including the Mormon period. Welcome uh, back to the show. Well, it's great to be with you virtually this time instead of being in Florida. Welcome yeah, I was, to you. So I was telling you offline, like you said, well, send it to my email. I'm like, well, I've had you on the program before, but ah, oh, we did it in person. They didn't do a Zoom call. So this is our first Zoom call interview with each other. And uh, Brian wanted to come on to the program today because, of course, just recently he was a guest on Midnight Mormons and uh, was discussing the, the film, um, Who Killed Joseph Smith? And of course, uh, interestingly enough, I was watching it live. I didn't catch the whole thing, but I, I watched it and then I jumped away. And then a little bit later, I see, oh, Justin Griffin is on now and he's talking. And uh, so part of the reason I had Brian on is he wanted to talk about a few more things that he was not not able to get to on Midnight Mormons. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, I just want to say, first of all, um, been getting good responses from this book. There's some people who've been given some pushback on my book review and the book. But I just want to ask you, uh, since publishing this book and Kind of tell me what kind of feedback you've been getting from people. Well, thanks, Steve, for having me on. Yeah, the, the, the book's been phenomenal. Um, the people in Warsaw give it out to people who move in to their neighbors. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I, I was talking to somebody three or four months ago, and they said, oh, yeah, when we moved here, our neighbor brought over your book. I didn't, you know, it's nice to make the connection. Um, I wrote the book. Um, surprisingly, I never thought it would really resurface or get 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 some attention. Because what happened with the martyrdom, what happened with the mob from Warsaw when they killed Joseph Smith, that was kind of settled until this uh, speculative new proposal came out in, in the movie. At least that's the way, that's my opinion. That's what I, the way I see it. And so all of a sudden, the work that I did seven, eight, nine years ago in researching the town of Warsaw, which is in Hancock County, I'm going to put up a slide for your viewers oh, to, to kind of see where this is. Um, yeah, here's here's a here's where Nauvoo is and Carthage. You know, most a lot of people have been to Nauvoo and Carthage. Very few people have been to Warsaw. Warsaw was was where the, where the mob came from that, that shot and killed Joseph Smith and and Hiram. So, you know, I I, I didn't ever think that that would really become a topic again because it's pretty much settled history, and so. You know, as we're filming this, you know, we're a few days away from the martyrdom and I thought it would be a day anniversary of the martyrdom and I thought it would be appropriate to to kind of revisit, kind of go over the events that happened and kind of get to maybe a topic or two that we weren't able to get to on Midnight Mormons. Um, uh, some people put me in touch with with Cardin and, and, and that group down there, Brad, and I went down to their studios last week. Uh, I talked to him Monday, was in their studio. Wednesday, we filmed actually four different things uh, overnight. And uh, people had tried to get Justin and I together. I had invited him. Other people had invited him on other podcasts. He refused. And so I just kept saying, Cardin, we got to get Justin on. We got to get Justin on. And Cardin was texting him all night. And finally, Justin was able to come on. Um, we had some technical difficulties. I, I couldn't hear him in my my headset, but we could hear, I could hear him faintly in the monitor. And so we did, probably didn't have a good as, uh, exchange as, as we wanted. Uh, I know I certainly wanted a different exchange. Um, and so I've, I've asked him to come on other podcasts in a moderated debate where he has three minutes, I have three minutes, so nobody's talking on uh, over. But in that, in that uh, 
Midnight Mormons, uh, you can go watch it. And near the end, he admits that the mob killed Joseph and Hiram. It's right there for you to watch. So I ask him, now that we all know and we all agree, will he change the title to his, of his movie to, instead of Who Killed Joseph Smith, to We Now Know Who Killed Joseph Smith. But he didn't like that idea. My, uh, I had a friend that said that was kind of a snarky comment on my end. But the bottom line is we, we agreed. Uh, Joseph was alive when he jumped out of the window or fell out of the well. He, he was not killed in the bedroom. Well, and in the movie, it shows at the beginning opening scene that he did, he was still alive too, but there was, then, yeah, I, I it was fascinating. And by the way, Justin, just so you know, you've been a guest on my program and uh, Kimberly Watson Smith, Smith has been a guest on my program as well. I just want to let you know, of course, I have an open door to all of my previous guests are always welcome to come back on the program if they want to address things. I don't know if you wanted to do a debate or anything on my channel, but if you want to come back on the program and discuss things about your movie and stuff and things that Brian said, you're welcome to come on the program. So, yeah. And, you know, it's not necessarily that we have to have like this formal debate, but we certainly can have a discussion with a lot of time. I welcome that. So he feels like he's fairly treated and not walked over and vice versa. I'm not walked over either. Mm -hmm. I welcome that on any, any channel, as long as it's fair and, and, uh, and polite and, and, uh, you know, dignified. So, um, Here's, here's kind of the, what, what's going on with the martyrdom, um, just to review. And when I wrote my, my book, I was just going to write about the Mormon period of Warsaw. And then I found, like I said, the city had a fascinating beginning and a really interesting post-Mormon period, um, uh, and including a big uh, economic boom and then a big bust uh, in the city today. You know, I encourage anybody who goes to Hancock County on a church history tour to stop and see Warsaw. It's went from about 4,500 people population-wise to about 15, 1,512 right now. And so it's got some economic decay, but the history there is so fascinating. Um, so let's, let's talk about, you know, the 1840s in, in Hancock County. Um, the martyrdom just did not happen in a vacuum. It was a well thought out, and Dallin Oaks says it so well in Carthage Conspiracy, his book, you know, it was a well thought out political assassination that took months, if not years of, of planning. And it was not an inside job. There's there, all the evidence, all the credible evidence points uh, to the people who said that they would do it, mm -hmm. the people who said they did do it. And the people who said after the fact that they did do it, and they went to their graves saying that they did do it. And not once did they say anybody in the church was involved in it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's a couple factors. One is uh, there was a lot of poli political tension. Um, as Nauvoo grew, the people in the, in, in the county were being outvoted. Okay, mm -hmm. So much so that in 1842, um, Thomas Sharp, and we'll talk about Thomas Sharp a lot. He was a newspaper editor there most of the time during the Mormon period. And the newspaper changed names a couple of times. So we just called it the Warsaw Signal with Thomas Sharp editor. But he and some people got together, including a relative of the Roosevelts, um, the, like present Roosevelt, like two present Roosevelts, her cousin lived in Warsaw. And uh, uh, and uh, his last name was Roosevelt, and they, they formed this political party called the Anti-Mormon Political Party. Now think about that. If we had like 
an anti-whatever, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, anti-Christian, anti-what color hair do you have? Kind of yeah, brown hair, blackish, anti-brown-haired political yeah. party. Yep. That just would not fly today. You can't be anti a group of people and really have any credibility. You'd be, you know, you'd, the, the optics would be bad. But they started the anti-Mormon political party in 1842 with the goal of trying to outvote the, the Mormon population who voted normally in, in, in a group or what they call block voting. Mm -hmm. It really uh, got under the skin of, of the locals and they wrote about in the paper how, how they're, you know, they have any chance of any local or, or, or statewide county control of their government, they've got to band together and vote against the Mormons. Um, economics, I think we talked about last time we were on, the, on your show, um, the Mormons seem to trade amongst themselves in Nauvoo, and in fact, in the newspaper, Thomas Sharp wrote, you won't find any goods in, uh, made in Nauvoo in the city of Warsaw. He was kind of complaining, and he puts a little jab, and he says, and we're better off because of it. Mm. Um, no, they weren't, but they were upset. But, uh, and then we always, as Latter-day Saints, we kind of always think, Steve, that uh, there was a lot of religious tension, and there, there was, but most historians say that's a part of it, but it was these other factors too. The, the fact that uh, Nauvoo had a court system with habeas corpus where any lawsuit brought against somebody like the prophet or church leaders, that lawsuit would have to go to a Nauvoo judge. The judge would determine whether the, the charges could go forward or not. And so whether they were valid or not, it was up to the judge to decide whether the charges went through. And that frustrated people in the, in the county because they couldn't get anything to stake now. To the church's defense, so much, so many lawsuits were just bogus lawsuits that were just filed to harass the prophet. So the saints felt like habeas corpus was a godsend because it, it just really cut out the, the harassment. But the, the locals found it to be frustrating. And mm -hmm. so the, the last thing is honestly, they despised Joseph's notoriety. Joseph was a nationally known celebrity in the newspapers all over the country. And when he ran for president, I think that heightened the local jealousy. People coming from England, coming up the river past Warsaw, you saw on the map, hundreds, thousands of people would pass by Warsaw and they'd say, where are you going? They say, oh, we're going to go see the Mormon prophet. And these farmers and stuff would say, well, you know, with we were up there, we know Joseph Smith, some of them, most of them who participated in the martyrdom didn't, had never met the man. Hmm. But, um, so they, they're like, he's just a guy. Why are you guys coming up here? A lot of jealousy. And so I think the, uh, the, 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 the powder keg that kind of let things, let, you know, started the, 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 the events, the martyrdom, Steve, is, was, was the expositor. And most of your viewers will, will know about the, the expositor. Are you okay if we go there? Or do you want to Absolutely. stop and talk about anything else? Yes. Yeah, talk, well, I think, okay. uh, yeah, let's just talk about that. What you, but you make your case. And yeah. Then, you know. So, so that's kind of the, the backdrop here. We've got this little town 18 miles south of Warsaw. We got this town in Carthage and they're, they're full of non-Mormons and they see just Nauvoo grow and get powerful. And they, they, they have a lot of tensions. And so in June of 1844, um, you know, William Law and the Fosters and the Higbees kind of get together and they start 
the Reform Mormon Church. They believe in Joseph's revelations, the Book of Mormon, these things, but they feel like he's a fallen prophet now. Now, here's what happens in Warsaw that Thomas Sharp picks up on this and writes a big front-page article. The Mormons are, are added amongst themselves. The, the most principled ones, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, you know, the, the smartest ones have broken off and they started this new Reformed Church. And it's going to be really interesting. We, interesting. we hear that they... Um, ha have on order a, a printing press. And it's going to be interesting to see what they, they print. Sure enough, they print one edition of the Nabu Expositor. And it had a lot of allegations against uh, Joseph. It called for mobs to attack the city. Um, the city met. They, the, the city council met. Uh, they went over current law at the time, and they felt like that was in their right to order the sheriff to go and destroy the press. After all, their own press had been destroyed in Missouri in 1833. Other presses up and down the river had been destroyed. And people say, well, you know, what about this freedom of the press? First Amendment, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. Well, the bottom line is that wasn't a federal law at the time. Uh, it became, uh, you know, a, a, well, a national law. It, it, that became federalized in uh, with the 14th Amendment. Right, 14th Amendment. So it basically didn't apply to the states or local jurisdictions. Local it was jurisdiction. First Amendment within the federal um, government. They, 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 according to their understanding of the law, at the time, the city council felt it was completely illegal for them to come and destroy the press. Um, uh, others have opined that maybe they should have just locked it up and not destroyed it because it was private property. Mm -hmm. So they didn't think they really did anything wrong. Um, they, they, and, and it was calm. It was under the direction of the sheriff. It wasn't some wild mob. But let me tell you, the people who were doing the press uh, got really mad and they ran to Warsaw and they stirred up the local newspaper and they put a letter in the newspaper that said, you know, we've been robbed of our rights and I'm going to show this next uh probably the most famous thing ever published in the Warsaw newspaper. So Charles Foster come and, and he, he puts this, if you can see this, he, he writes this letter, explain what happened. And he writes above this red block, you know, according, you know, 200 men came armed and equipped with musket swords and pistols. And they basically, you know, took a sledgehammer and tumbled the press materials into the street. And then he signs it, uh, and then uh, Thomas Sharp, and he physically brings this letter. And so Thomas Sharp puts this in the newspaper and he tells his readers, he said, we received the above communication by the hands of Charles A. Foster about, I think it says four past, uh, you know, just past uh, 11 o'clock uh, today. We have only to state that this is sufficient. War and extermination is an in in inevitable. So again, the, that word extermination, which the Mormons had been exterminated from Missouri. And then Thomas Sharp, again, this is in the Warsaw newspaper. Um, Citizens arise one and all. Can you stand by and suffer such infernal devils? And then he goes on and says, you know, let's, we have no time for comment. Uh, every man will make his own. Let it be made with powder and ball. Okay, so they were mad. They put it in the newspaper. You publish something like that today, you'd probably, you know, end up in court against somebody specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So the day of the martyrdom, June 24th, okay? Excuse me, June 27th. 7th, sorry. Um, June 27th, 1844. 
um, you know, Joseph Hiram, uh, you know, a couple others uh, were in the, the, the jail overnight. I think when I was on your show before we talked uh, the night uh, of the 26th, how uh, Dan Jones received Joseph's last prophecy. One thing I didn't bring up on Midnight Mormon, Steve, is that earlier Joseph had prophesied about Willard Richards being in kind of a hailstorm, a hail of bullets, and not being injured. Uh, he had a nick on his ear. Joseph had great prophetic gifts. He prophesied about Willard. He prophesied about Dan Jones. Dan Jones received the last prophecy. It's a phenomenal prophecy the night before. And Joseph told many people he, he went to like a lamb to the slaughter and different things like this. But not once did he ever say, Steve, that I'm going to be killed with a Judas in my midst. I'm going to be betrayed like Christ was. I'm going to have one of my followers shoot me or two of them like this movie uh, possibly suggests. And he, he definitely was in the height of his prophetic glory near the near the Carthage jail time. There's two or three prophecy, bam, bam, bam. And he, he, you know, he would have said, hey, if I die today, talk to Willard and John. They're the guys behind it. He never said that. Hmm. And he, he, he would have. In fact, he, he, he indicated that, you know, he's going to go and, you know, he's not going to be saved. He's not going to return. And he knew it was going to be a mob. So that night, the 26th, the night before, there was some wrestling outside. And the movie kind of gets it wrong because they say the mob returns. Now, the morning of the 27th, a mob gathers in Warsaw. We call it a mob. It was three military regiments. Okay, two from Warsaw, one from Green Plains. One of the Green Plains was led by Levi Williams. And they go up to a, a point called Golden's Point. And I don't, uh, I'll, I'll kind of go, go back to this uh, area here. It's kind of, if you were to take Warsaw, Navajo, and Carthage, and kind of point in the middle of the triangle here. Mm -hmm. That's where Golden's Point is. And they go up there and they meet, and the governor fords over in Nauvoo, and Nauvoo scolding the saints. And he sends a messenger to the, to the mob and says, hey, go home. And some of them did. But at the same time, there's a guard, a Carthage Gray guard. His name's Frank Worrell. And he sends a note to Levi and to Thomas. And he says, hey, we got Joseph here. He says, now is the time to do the deed. And so they talk about it more and they vote to go on. And so they go on to Carthage and, you know, 100 to 150 men, uh, depending on the account, the black face, uh, some had yellow, some had red. They disguise themselves. They storm the jail. And um, the first thing that happens is they go up the stairs and Joseph actually thought it was the Nauvoo Legion coming to rescue him. He opens the door and he pulls back his fists and gives him a, a, mm -hmm. a bare, bare knuckle sandwich and they tumble down. Mm -hmm. And uh, they regroup, they get their guns out, they start firing. Now, here's what we need to know about the room. We can't go to a crime scene that's 177 years old and get any credible evidence. We can't even go to a crime scene a week later and have it hold up in court unless it's been preserved. This room was not preserved. If you go there today, the window seal is not the original. That was gone a long time ago, the, the window that Joseph fell out of. The stairs going up are not original. The door, I've been told, is not original. In fact, it's just the panel, and who knows if they put it back right, the panel with a hole in it. Oh. 
Interesting. So, so not only have you got that, they took off some of the, 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 I don't know, plaster back in, I think, 20s or 30s. The McCrae's, Eunice McCrae and her husband were called as, as missionaries back there. And they could, the, the crime scene had been tampered with so much they couldn't really find the bullet hole. See, Jacob Hamlin came the day after the martyrdom. There was like 50-something bullet holes, something like that. Later on, there was people counting 40, 50 bullet holes. That was all revamped because the church didn't have access. They didn't even own the jail till what? I don't know what it was, 1920s, 1930s, whatever. Um, it had been a private residence. So much had happened. So we're trying to go back in 2022 to 177-year-old crime scene in this movie, trying to recreate based on two accounts. Now, the two accounts were not depositions. They were people's reminisce, you know, reminiscent thoughts, uh, you know, we're talking John Taylor, Willard Richards, um, John Taylor, you know, some, one of them was like 10 years old. And, you know, you talk to somebody who's been in a, a traumatic situation and uh, 10 years later, and they're not specifically telling the story to give exact facts, but maybe an overall view. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Steve, when we were down there with you, mm -hmm. we took you to a restaurant, right? Yep. Remember that? Yep. Now, if you were to describe, that's just six months ago, describe it, write it down, and I describe it, write it down, a, a reader is going to think we went to two different restaurants because you will tell the story so much different than I did. Mm -hmm. And it should be that way because if it was the same, it would be suspect. And so it's natural for Taylor and Richards to tell two different stories, slightly different, just like the Gospels and the Bible are different. Mm -hmm. That actually adds the credibility. Okay. So well, I, just, I just have a quick question for you. Yeah. So one of the things in the movie that he makes in the documentary is he talks about how there's a lack of pockmarks or damage on the outside of the building, that if they were shooting indiscriminately towards the window and the building, that it should be full of like damage from those bullets. Uh, do you have anything to say to that? No, I know that there has been people talk, talking about that. Um, 177 years later, I'm not buying the fact that there was just a bunch of random people shooting at the building. Okay. They were shooting at Joseph. We, we do know that what uh, this, the, the jailer's wife said a bullet came buzzing by her mm -hmm. through the window. Um, I, 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 I'm not looking for a bunch of pot marks on the outside. They Got could it. have been repaired, changed, or even weathered. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was just curious not, to get your take on that. Yeah, uh, that's not too concerning. Uh, I, I hope they don't suggest that because there wasn't a lot of bullet holes that no bullets were shot from the outside because that's that's not credible. Yeah, that's kind of what he was implying in the yeah. movie, yeah. So we get the mob that goes upstairs, right? They're shooting into the, and Joseph has two guns and he's there to protect. He, he said this before, he said he took a gun to protect his friends. Uh, he shoots a couple bullets down, hits two or three guys. Um, Gallagher is one of them. Uh, there's there's a little gunfight, then then the, the shots keep coming in. Now let's 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 use some logic here. This theory that it was an inside job. Number one, why did the inside people, you know, Taylor and and Richards? Why did they wait till the very moment the mob was there to kill Joseph and Hiram if it was an inside job? Mm -hmm. 
They didn't know the mob was coming. So why, why wait and not just do it? Number two, why didn't they just let the mob do the job? The theory, Justin's theory, is that, that Willard and, and, and John shot Joseph and Hiram. Mm -hmm. If people are shooting in the room, why not just let them do it? Yeah, hide under the bed. Number and... three, <laughs> why did Willard and Taylor, or well, let's be respectful, Richards and Taylor, fight against the mob and hold the door shut if they were in cahoots with the mob and had their own lives at risk being shot at? themselves why didn't they open the door and say hey my friends come in Hiram and Joseph are right here we'll hold them while you shoot them they put their lives on lives on the line to try to hold off the mob beat their uh, guns down with walking sticks and canes the theory that Taylor and Richards were behind it makes no sense when they were putting their their you know when, when Taylor was almost killed Okay, here's what I didn't say on Midnight Mormons. Here's a bombshell. Okay. Well, first of all, they were the, the theory is that possibly Brigham Young was behind it all. Well, that's impossible for a couple of reasons. Brigham Young was in Boston. There was no way that he would have known that Joseph and Hiram were even in the Carthage jail. Mm -hmm. It took too long. Car Joseph and Hiram were there, what, three? They were in their third day, I think. It took weeks. Uh, at least a long time to get word to bring him and for bring him to say, okay, let's, let's get, you know, write a letter to the mob or, or, or to the people inside the jail. Let's, let's kill Joseph and hire him now. That's, that's problem. Number one, Brigham Young would not have had the communication would not have known. Number two, there was no indication that anybody knew at least at that time that Brigham would be the successor. Mm -hmm. Okay. You had, First of all, Hiram was the assistant president of the church, and there was no indication that if they killed Joseph, that uh, Hiram wouldn't sur survive, that he would be the successor. Number two, Sidney Rigdon was a counselor in the presidency, and he had rightful claim. Number three, Samuel Smith was still alive after the martyrdom. Now, he died you know, a couple of weeks later, but he was a rightful successor. And Brigham Young was kind of like way down on the, the food chain. Why would he have Joseph killed when he, it was super unclear that he would be the next uh, leader of the church? And we would think if you were planning this, that you would probably want to eliminate the people that were ahead of you first before you got to the prophet and <laughs> kind of position yourself there too. Yeah, be, be first in line. And, and that... That didn't happen. So, you know, the next day, um, well, that afternoon, as we know, after the martyrdom, first of all, Joseph was alive when he fell out and he possibly could have survived it. They had leaned his body up against the well and, and Levi Williams and his firing squad shoot at Joseph and kill him. So who killed Joseph Smith? It was Levi Williams firing squad. That's the answer because he was alive before that and he could have survived. He only had a couple of walls. What in I think he ended up having four or five shots and we think maybe three or four of them came two or three came from the firing squad at the well so the court case was levi the people versus levi williams not the people versus john taylor not the people versus willard richards because everybody knew it was levi williams okay that night they go to the warsaw house 
Now, if you go to Warsaw today, there's this building there, uh, the same site. Uh, we know the front was built uh, in 1904, right here. But the old part, it is said, was where the mob met. Now, this is the kitchen part. We're not quite sure the local records uh, aren't clear whether this was built in the 1830s or a little later, but we do know that this site is the Warsaw House where the mob met. And the Mormon waitress, 18-year-old Eliza Jane Graham, unknown to the mob, but she was a member of the church, came and met starting about nine o'clock and 50 to 60 people gathered. And she served them, her aunt and Fleming, not a Mormon, cooked the meals. One of the guys that was shot sat around the fire and uh, talked about how they were just at Carthage, how they killed Joseph. The people that Eliza was serving all bragged about how they just had killed Joseph and Hiram, okay? She, Eliza, became a star witness for the prosecution at the trial the next year, and her aunt became a witness for the defense. Not once did the mob say that night or at trial or later in their lives. We came to Carthage to kill Joseph and guess what? It was already done. Not once did they say that. Not once did they say, and there was a group of them, we were in cahoots. Brigham paid us. Willard paid us. Taylor paid us. We were trying to be their friends or they were trying to be our friends. We all had a common enemy that just never came out. In fact, they stood trial. Nine people were indicted the next year and five stood trial and they could have been hung. And not once did they say, you know what? It's time for us to come clean. You're trying the wrong people. There's five of us. We don't want to be hung. We'll let you in on a secret. It was Taylor and Richards that you need to have here and hang them because they were the ones that were behind it. Not once did anybody say anything like that. So you know, one of the heroes of your book is Eliza and you talk about her. Uh, I think it's a, one of the more moving parts of your book about the courage that it took for her to do that, especially when, uh, I mean, she could have, harm could have come to her as well. So I think it's it's a great um, story, and I think that's another reason why I need to get this book because it, it, you detail that as well. Thanks. I was excited to find that story. It's not widely known. She is the most famous, most important, uh, unknown character, female uh, heroine in church history, in my opinion. I just love Eliza, and, I, and I've become friends with with some of her descendants. We had a painting commissioned. Um, I'd like to show you this article here. This is after the trial, a Warsaw resident, John Hay, who served as President Lincoln's personal secretary and as an ambassador for the United States to several countries, wrote an article in 1869. Now he was a small child at the time of the martyrdom, but his dad was the doctor, Charles Hay, for the, the Warsaw troops. And he wrote this community memoir about the whole Joseph Smith murder and trial. So after the trial, it was kind of a kangaroo court, he writes uh, concerning the acquittal, there was not a man on the jury in the court in the county that did not know the defendants, these are the five, uh, had not done the murder, but it was not proven and the verdict of not guilty was right in the law. Hmm. Nowhere did they say, they were talking about the defendants, Tom Sharpley by Williams, Jacob Davis, uh, William, you know, Grover, 
those guys. Not once did they say, you know what? Those guys were fall guys for the Mormons. They really got paid by Brigham Young to do this, or they were in cahoots. So the movie falls on its face. The, the mob said that they were going to do it. They said they did it. They stuck to the story all their lives. Now, um, we got to remember the year after the, the trial, two years after the martyrdom, the same mob drive is part of what drives the saints out of Nauvoo. We have three main waves starting in February 1846, the summer wave and then the poor camp later. And before all the Mormons got out of there, there was a battle of Nauvoo. Those people are like, I never heard of this. Well, people from Warsaw, including Thomas Sharp, goes up and they, they bombard Nauvoo and drive the saints, the remaining saints, this is what, August, September 46, and in that time period, drive the remaining saints out. Now, wouldn't Brigham Young and those guys say, John Taylor and Willard Richards, wouldn't they stand up and say, hey, what the heck? We were in cahoots with killing Joseph Smith and now you're turning on us and they would make up public. Mm -hmm. Not once did they say, so the people who killed Joseph and Hiram hated Brigham Young and the saints as, as, as much and drove the saints out of Nauvoo. So that's kind of what happened with the martyrdom. And, and that, you know, the, the, I have a lot of problems as I, with, with the uh, movie uh, that we've talked about as I watched, I took several pages of, of notes of errors and, and just things that, that didn't seem right to me. Hmm. And uh, I think there's an agenda here, and I understand they're coming out with the second movie. I don't think, in my opinion, that this movie was really trying to get to the bottom of who killed Joseph Smith, because we know who killed Joseph Smith, and Justin even said it on Midnight Mormons. I think I'm speculating my opinion uh, that they've got a larger agenda to try to maybe bring people out of the church. Mm. some way to create so doubt um they've got their own movement by the way from what i understand and and i don't want to get too far down the road because i'll admit i, I don't know everything about their movement i've heard quite a bit but it's i've never i, I don't have firsthand knowledge so that might be a, an avenue for you to explore steve but the bottom line is we got to look at the motive of the mob. You can't look at two or three minutes you have to take a holistic viewpoint and the reason we can't look at two minutes because a crime scene is far from being preserved. That makes no sense. You go to any detective and you say, I wanna visit a 177 year old crime scene and try to get definitive answers of what has happened there. And it was not preserved. Do you think I could be very successful? Most police detectives would say, that's just really, you, you, all you're gonna end up is speculation. It's what I would think that they would say. And when you've got this holistic viewpoint, and when I did my research on Warsaw, like I told you, Steve, I had no idea that this was going to resurface in 2022, this, this whole topic. It was settled history. And now we've got some speculations. We got a movie based, I think there was, what, six mileposts or six benchmarks that were completely, in my opinion, arbitrary to try to form a different narrative and you guys say well is there a motive behind it and a, 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 at least to me it appears that there might be and that is to have people question their their faith and their testimony in the church hmm. um, i've had people 
Um, I am in a church position right now. I, I actually had a, a, a congregate come to me and ask me about this. Little did he know that I had actually written the history of Warsaw and had studied the mob and studied the town for years. And we quickly dispelled some misinformation that this uh, congregate had. And I'm just thinking that, you know, I don't know how many people have actually, you know, had their, their faith shattered or, or by this movie. Justin tells that he's had people come up just in tears. And I'm like, people make their opinions and grow or decline their testimonies sometimes by the information that they have. And if they've got wrong information, we need to go out at least, I'm trying to at least put correct information out. So I hope the story and discussion we've had today, Steve, mm. is helpful to your viewers and viewers that may have friends, relatives, neighbors, people that they go to church with that have had questions about this theory that it was an inside job. The evidence, the overwhelming evidence, the proven evidence for 177 years has been that it was the mob from Warsaw that did the deed and it was no way an inside job. And we're really splitting words and definitions and hairs if we're trying to suppose that we can make some theory come together. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on the program and discussing with you some of the stuff that you weren't able to get to uh, Midnight Mormons. And uh, again, I want to thank you again for coming on the program. I really appreciate you, Brian. I appreciate your book. I appreciate the work you're doing to uh, tell the story of Warsaw. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we uh, wrap things up? I just want to thank you again for your time. You, you do a good work here. You have a wide variety of, of resources and if, uh, excuse me, of voices that you, you have on your program. And um, you know, if somebody from from uh, the movie wanted to come on and have a moderated discussion with each person having time, I'm more than willing to come back. Yeah, uh, and that's the invitation, Justin. Now, um, you know, you came on my program uh, a few days after the movie was released, and you felt that you were treated fairly. Um, I've had some communication with you, not much recently, but I just want to open the door to you that if you would, if you think this would be a venue um, uh, that you would like to participate in, uh, every everybody feels that I, I'm a fair, fair broker here and I, I don't take any sides. And so maybe this could be a, a format that you might want to consider. So the invitations out there, Doctrine of Christ people, I've, I've reached out to some of you. Um, I just want to let you know, I'm not taking sides. So if you think that I am, I'm not. I, 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 to me, the side I want to be is, uh, is on the truth, right? But I also want to make sure, like I said, all the voices of the restoration are going to be heard on Mormon book reviews. And you are a voice uh, within this wider movement. Uh, and uh, so, you know, let's talk. Let's just, let's just try to have civil discourse. Steve, Steve you, you, you're always a, a, a fair forum. That's Thank how you. I'd like to describe you, a fair forum. You know, and, and, and so I appreciate that. I'll just leave with the, the, the closing thought here, Steve, okay. to all your viewers. We established on Midnight Mormons, and you watch the end, that Joseph was alive when he fell out the window and he was murdered at the well by Levi Williams firing squad. Justin agreed to it. If I, if we understand correctly, he, he may feel like he misspoke, but I heard him say that he agreed that Joseph was killed by the firing squad. Everybody around 
that was eyewitnesses that testified both then and later said that that's what happened. I believe that's what happened. Uh, so what we've got here is the answer. Who killed Joseph Smith? The firing squad. And that's why the court case was the People versus Levi Williams, who was the leader of the firing squad. Okay. So we have an answer. Who killed Joseph Smith? Levi Williams firing squad. Okay, have have a great day. Yeah, great. Well, hey, I just want to remind my audience a few things before. The merch store is open. Go to mormonbookreviews.com. Get yourself a hat. Get yourself a phone case. Uh, we got a lot of great merch, uh, and that helps support our program. And I also want to remind you, I do have supporters that uh, financially support the program via Patreon. I want to thank all my patrons there helping, as well as people who like to give direct contributions on PayPal as well. I want to thank all of you for those contributions. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank my audience for taking the time to listen to us today, to hear Brian's uh, story and what, what he wanted to get out there that he wasn't able to on Midnight Mormons. I'm glad I was able to provide that venue. All my previous guests have an open invitation to come back on anytime they want. And so I'm glad that you took advantage of that invitation, Brian. And thanks for coming on. Have a nice day. All right, folks, you all have yourself a great day. Don't worry, be well, everything's gonna be fine and have yourself a fun summer.